Welcome to What Is It About the Weather, a podcast where we explore the many ways that weather intertwines itself into our lives. I'm your host, Mark Jelonik. This week, winds. We're going to be talking about the winds, whipping up a little bit around me right now. You know, it's interesting. You notice probably where you are. There's that kind of threshold point where wind goes from not noticeable. I mean, it's not that you wouldn't notice it being windy if you were outside in it or you know, that there is wind, but the sounds that go with it, I think, are, are what change. They go from non-existent to, oh, wow, it's windy, and you don't have to be feeling it. I, I think that's an interesting element of wind that we don't necessarily get with some of the other pieces of weather. I mean, they all have their thresholds, I guess, right, that when it becomes a little too hot or... You know, with precipitation, it's kind of obvious. You're either feeling it or it's not. It's kind of, yeah, you, it might be heavier or lighter sort of thing. But I, I like that wind has that kind of, not just a, a skin sensation, but we also have that audio reminder of it. Any case, we'll talk about that some more. Actually, it's it's relevant with today's topic. Spring is here. Around me, it's been mild. Actually, it's pretty warm. This uh, warm wind that I've got outside, it's going to get back to more what I would call seasonable temperatures later. But as with often the case, I, I guess it depends where you are, of course. Spring tends to bring unsettled weather, just like fall does. But a lot of times it's a maybe a little more tilted towards the severe side. Again, really just depends on where you are. But those transitional seasons, no doubt, kick up a change at a minimum. And there's certainly been a lot of that going on. I know I had family impacted, not directly, but uh, to some extent by tornadoes in the southeastern U.S. Again, yesterday, you mentioned that last week. It's kind of, again, we're in that zone, that time of year where you kind of have to be aware and alert. There's even a well-known meteorologist, James Spann. He's kind of, I don't know, a name that's really known in the broadcast community. He lives in Alabama, a state in the southern U.S., for those that aren't familiar with Alabama. And his apparently his home, while the home was okay, their yard, etc., uh, was pretty impacted by a tornado just yesterday. And his wife was at home at the time, thankfully was well protected, knew what was coming. But just a reminder, I mean, it could happen to anybody, right? And it's important that we all, as I've said before, think about it. And these are good times of year to do that when, you know, the, the topic is at hand as to what would you do? You know, we, we've talked about this in recent episodes. How do you prepare? Who do you trust? All those things. Good time to evaluate that stuff. So if it's been on your to-do list, make sure to pop on through it. The other thing that was noticeable this week for me was officially no more Greek letters for North Atlantic tropical cyclone slash hurricanes. Part of it probably stemmed from the fact that they had to retire a couple of those letters because of those end season storms that we were talking about that had such a large impact, particularly in Central America with loss of life and property, etc. But no more. We'll have a backup list of names. So if you get to the regular end of the list. So, you know, some places they just kind of go into the next season and, and continue. With ours, they'll be, uh, you know, the, you'll have an A through, well, you don't use all the letters, the appropriate letters of the alphabet. And if for some reason one of those needs to be retired, they'll 
be replaced with another name. Now, I don't know if they're going to circulate that list or change it from year to year. It sounded like it was just going to be sort of a steady list that will be repopulated as needed. But I could see, again, I don't think year in, year out, we're going to get to that list. Shouldn't, in theory, get to the list on a regular basis. But they said the same thing with the Greek alphabet. Now they're moving away from it. So I don't know. Maybe maybe every year it, it's going to translate out. I, I don't know. I don't recall. But for some reason, I think it's just going to be a stagnant list. And, well, I don't need to talk about this endlessly. I'm sure you guys really don't care it in that level of detail. All right. Wins. I told you wins were going to be relevant, and they are. So in theory, we're going to be talking about which way does the ship blow. And we're here for two reasons. Both of them are news stories that I've seen recently that kind of bubbled this up to the surface. One, probably everybody, not to be too punny, uh, had it on their radar screen, if you will. It's been in the news cycle quite a bit in the last couple of days for a variety of reasons. But it's the ship that is blocking the Suez Canal. Now, you may have seen it to different degrees of how much coverage you've gotten, but there's a good chance you've heard the story at least about a massive container ship that essentially is blown sideways. It's not exactly sideways, but pretty close in the Suez Canal, so no traffic can go around, and more or less has deadlocked that thing until they lift it out. Now, one of the reasons it's made news maybe more than it would have otherwise is this this ship's huge. It's It's like one of the largest container ships in the world. They have this category of kind of ultra-sized container ships, and this falls in that category. And if you see this ship, you see how enormous it is. But they were working to dislodge it, and they had this little crane, little, I don't know if it was Caterpillar or some other brand, kind of to the side that looks dwarfed, and it looks like it's just like a kid in a sandbox, right? Just moving, or a kid on a beach building a castle, probably better. Moving so little of the sand, I, you know, it seemed like it'll take forever to move. Now, that was just a start, and I think they had hoped they might be able to do some small-scale things to get it moving again, but that has not been the case. So, sounds like, sounds like it could take weeks. Now, my guess is they'll get it done faster than that, but it's turning out not to be a trivial exercise. The other story that came to light also within the past couple of weeks was the world's first potential potential shipping tunnel. Okay. We're going to get in both of these a little more, but let's lay a little groundwork and why this is, I don't know, maybe come full circle. A good way to think about it. This is not a new topic, right? There's few activities in human history that are more interconnected than Shipping, and I mean shipping as in ships, ocean travel, water-based travel, and wind, right? Or weather more broadly. I mean, historically, all sailing that was done was done with the aid of wind or a current, which are also influenced by winds. I mean, there's a temperature influence there. But to some extent, much of our early Ocean-going travels were based on the ability to hoist a sail and have the wind push us. But just think about it. Just think about how it goes on since early time, how that shaped exploration, commerce, conflict. We've talked about a variety of these things before, like the history, you know, the way 
weather shaped historic events and whether it really shaped history. And a lot of those were naval related activities that were influenced by wind and weather, right? And even today, we're still completely interdependent on where the ships are going to go and weather influences that. You think of wind, but it's storms in general, but I like to keep it in the kind of the wind frame because that's the predominant thing that kicks up waves. It's the predominant thing that you know, makes it, it becomes too strong. It's the predominant thing that pushes things out of the course that they're expecting to be on. So even today, if a ship is going, has a shipping channel that it regularly uses, and there are plenty of these, and I'll actually, I, there's a little link in the show notes that you can go and see where ships are out in the ocean, because a lot of this is tracked, you know, major ships. And if winds are too strong, between the wind itself and the waves, it can drastically change the route of a ship. And the best way to get from point A to point B may need to change if there's activity going on, whether it's tropical cyclones or whether it's just a large-scale pattern change in the weather that will influence what would be the shipping channels or the normal path that people might use to get from point A to point B. So while it may not be the same level of you have to have wind to get from point A to point B, all right? And it's certainly not as big of a thing with moving people. I mean, back in the day, however, I mean, if you wanted to get from continent A to continent B, you took a boat. And again, those boats shifted from sails to steam power. But weather impacted those ships while they were at sea. So we still have sailing. We still have cruises. Those things are still impacted, but people aren't moving around as much. But it's estimated that 90% of the world's goods still move by sea at some point, right? It's not uncommon for them to get, you can say a lot of the same things about railroads. Once they get somewhere, a lot of them take railroads. These are things people don't think about. We, you know, we think about the last mile. We think about whether it's the UPS or USPS or FedEx or DHL or UPS or and I don't know which acronym I've said and not said, whatever method of transport that you're used to get Amazon, getting things in that last mile, it's usually on a road surface, right, of some kind. But between trains and particularly ships, vast majority of the goods that go around the world today that we end up with at some point are transported on a ship. Because you, this can be raw materials going one direction and finished goods coming another direction as well, right? So we've been tr- dealing with this challenge for a long time of open seas, in particular areas of open seas, are problematic. They're more windy. They have higher levels of storms, you know, rougher seas. I remember when I was living in Chile, one of the options, you know, you can get to Antarctica from southern Chile and Argentina. It's not like it's right there, but there are a few ways to get there. And each of them, you know, you're comparing how miserable of a trip you want between point A and point B because it's not a fun ride. Why? Because the seas are particularly turbulent in that zone. A lot of wind, therefore a lot of wave activity as well. It's not just about the wind. Now, 
Ships are designed for this stuff. And, you know, we've even got great movies like The Perfect Storm, right? It's amazing how much a ship can go through being tossed around and still stay upright. That said, you know, whether it counts for you know something on the order, or, or I would say turbulent seas driven by weather, count for something on the order. I think it was like I read 50%-ish of the losses at sea. I mean, some of them are just bad driving and has nothing to do with weather. But weather plays a large role. So again, we've been looking with how do we deal with it in open seas, but also in particular, how do we deal with where water meets land? Because that's where a lot of the problems happen. Particularly when the weather is harsh. You got lighthouses. You've got, it's like the Straits of Magellan. Those had to be discovered because getting around that Cape, getting around Cape Horn, again, if you want to go to Antarctica, one of the ways to get there, was particularly treacherous. And not necessarily all year round, but treacherous enough. So we've been looking for ways to do it. Cape, Cape Good Hope, South Africa, same thing. A lot of traffic still goes around these ways, but less and less than used to because we're looking for alternative ways to deal with that. So how do you do it? Well, like I said, Magellan Straits was one where it was just figuring out a little safer, little less wind-blown route, but that has its own challenges. You know, shallow waters, or it's got to be well-marked, or, you know, ships and boats have the same problem. They're going to end up crashing into something. So we have a couple of options, right? We're going to talk about each one of these. We're going to start with the idea of canal, right? The, the Suez Canal, which is what this big ship is blocking. I love it. The, the company's called Evergreen, right? And I was thrown off by that because I kept seeing the reports of the ship was called Evergiven. And I kept seeing this big Evergreen on the boat. I was like, are they misreporting something going on? Well, the company is Evergreen, and they name all their ships Ever something just to make things even more confusing. So the Suez Canal was built, and it's estimated... I don't know. I mean, I've, I've heard reports and with all the news stories of, you know, how much money per hour. And that that's interesting. But, you know, it's I don't think it gets to 20,000 ships a year, but it's a lot of ships that go through that channel. A lot of goods, particularly going from Europe right, to Asia, use that channel. Some still sail around South, South Africa. And I can tell you right now, currently, a lot of them probably are, as opposed to being stuck waiting on either side of the canal. So he built this canal, been around a long time. Like I said, I think about almost 150 years or something on the order of 150 years. And certainly it's changed and grown and bigger, can handle these bigger ships now. However, that channel, just like the Panama Canal, which doesn't handle quite as many ships, but still a major shipping route, keeps people from having to go around the tip of South America. Again, as we discussed, good thing, problematic, hard to get around. it's still susceptible to weather problems. And it appears that's what caused this ship to have a challenge. There was a windstorm that came through, big wind dust storm, so it lowered visibility, and somehow the ship got off enough course, and this is the challenge. It's still a tight area. So kicked up, got this boat turned towards the shore, probably on, on its front end, and by the time it locked up, well, the back end, the wind is spun it around. 
Now, I haven't looked at the dynamics. I don't know exactly what played out, but it does sound, <laughs> I mean, you got your choice. Somebody's going to blame it on the win. And I, it's, from what I've seen, it seems most likely that even if there was some human error, that there was also some weather influential component to why the ship ran aground and why for weeks things we've already got this big shipping problem going on around the globe currently and this is going to cause even more of a challenge with that right so can you make the channels these canals safer during those kind of storms well someone probably wasn't paying attention and got caught out on on this situation because i think for the most part they do keep an eye on that panama canal it does have times a year where it's certainly more susceptible to weather. Panama itself is a little far south to get much in the way of tropical cyclones, but they do get a, a fair amount of thunderstorm activity in that vicinity. So there is potential, right, for weather and gust of wind to cause challenges. Most of the time, I think they're able to take that into account. But it's just a reminder that no matter how hard you try, you've got this thing going on it's called nature it's called weather and you can't just ignore it just because you're going through a canal right because what's happening here is this is not like the open ocean where a ship goes down or has a problem and all of a sudden you know it, it's just that ship this is impacting again hundreds of thousands of goods an hour or something is what i've heard it's you know, a big deal. And it's the same thing because I do hear stories from time to time when a, a port has a problem with, you know, maybe a narrow entrance or something that gets blocked and may not be due to weather, but often it is because some weather event steers a ship in a way that it wasn't prepared to deal with. And, you know, in responding to that, ships don't exactly stop, right? It's like any time. It's like the difference between a semi-truck and a little car in terms of the momentum and making a change. It's a real issue. So weather's a deal. So how are they thinking about it in other ways? Well, I came across this other story, and that's why I wanted to share it with you. In Norway, they're going to build a tunnel between kind of a fjord area and an open Atlantic on the other side. I, they're kind of two fjords. There's this big peninsula called the Stad. That's the short version because the long version, I'm sure they know everybody who doesn't speak Norwegian would probably mess up. The Stad Peninsula, they're going to build a tunnel through it. They've studied this thing for a long time, and at first they didn't think it'd have an impact. Now they're talking about it because this is an area where it transfers kind of, it's the edge of the North Sea, which is a particularly kind of, stormy area in the North Atlantic. But the shape, this is kind of where Norway goes from, you know, one direction to more of a lean towards the Northeast in terms of its shoreline. So this is a big outcropping. It's sort of an exposed area, a lot of weather, and it leads to meaningful delays. So they're going to cut a hole in the earth and ships are going to go through. And I love the renderings, right? All this nice peaceful boats going through, opening out the other side. Voila into the magic channel and all that stuff. Now, I don't know if it's exactly going to look like that. Renderings always give you the best case. But I have to imagine, and hopefully, I'm sure they did think about this, you're going to cut a hole in the earth 
And somehow, wind's going to come into play. Now, I don't know exactly, but if you've ever gone into a, a tunnel, like driven in a tunnel, you'll notice that from time to time. That it, you know, depending on the setup, they've got to do venting a certain way to make sure winds aren't too prevalent because you've also got temperature changes that can take place because the water probably on either side of this thing will be heated to different degrees. It might have varying temperatures, could cause other contrast. Now, some of that you can try to model, but you may not know about until you get finished. So I'll be curious to see what role weather has in traffic, not just the tunnel. The tunnel itself, once you get in there, may be okay, but getting in and out, does the shift in what they've created have an impact on that? Something to watch. There's a link in the show notes if you want to read about the tunnel. I was intrigued by it. Again, I'm not exactly sure how it popped up on my radar screen, but there was enough talk about it because it finally got approved, I guess. And, you know, they're going to be buying some homes and structures that are around where they're going to do this to make way for it. So it, I don't know if it was on CNN or somewhere else that it made it to some feed. Yeah, you know, this kind of stuff gets in my feed all the time. It may not get in yours, but that's okay. That's why it's here. And that's why I talk about it because it is intriguing sort of things. I don't know. Let me know what you think. It's kind of a neat topic. Uh, like I said, I'll be curious to see two things. <laughs> how successful that tunnel is, but how long it takes to get this ship out of the way in the Suez Canal. I don't know. If you have questions, topics, show ideas, whatever it is, just feel like sharing some weather story, you know you can reach me. What is about the weather at gmail.com? What is about the weather on Twitter? YouTube, what is it about the weather? You know, I keep saying it. it's like youtube.com slash C slash what is it about the weather? I, I don't know why they exactly do it that way. Love to hear from you. Let me know what's going on in your weather world. I'm going to leave you with this, however. I saw some videos last night, and it was a reminder of this. And it, I'd seen this story earlier this week. There's some great videos out there of debris of a SpaceX rocket breaking up as it came back in in the Seattle kind of area, Oregon, Washington State, northwestern U.S., that looked out of this world, right? It looked like either something had disintegrated, come apart, or some sort of spaceship flying up above. Take a look for that online. It was kind of intriguing. But something else happened recently that a old weather satellite had started to break up in space, but it's, it's still up there. That's the challenge. It didn't have a deorbit. You know, a lot of times they'll bring these things down now, or that's the game plan is to, to, you want it to get out of the way because we're getting more and more junk up there. And what's intriguing to me about that is, yes, a lot of satellites up there today are for communication and other purposes, but a lot of them still are about measuring weather, weather phenomena or nature things in general. So weather has a real role in shipping channels in space, right? Because there are orbits that are ideal, and some of them are getting pretty darn crowded. So when this sort of breakup happens, it's essentially like taking one satellite and making it five satellites in a bigger space, right? Because they're slightly spread out from one another. Now, at some point it may be brought down, and I think we're going to get to some era where we'll be better, you know, we'll probably be sending up satellites to push other ones back into the orbit or pull them in and bring them back to Earth, whatever it is. It's just a reminder that, you know, weather's impacting shipping in space and probably will continue to for a long time. You, know, you don't necessarily think about it that way, but there's that weather connection. Be 
because as we all know, there's much more to weather than the weather itself.